0: Uh, The reading today is from Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy splendor, your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way and so he will lift his head high. This is the word of the Lord. Brilliant. Thank you, Chawi. Good evening everyone, just add my own welcome, my name's Andy, I'm the curate here, and welcome especially if you're visiting or if you're new, it's great to have you with us. Why don't we pray uh, now as we come to spend some time reflecting on this beautiful psalm together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and thank you that you're Your word, the the Psalms, the Old Testament scriptures all point to your Son, Jesus. And as we spend time now kind of looking for Jesus in this Psalm, pray, Lord, would you reveal your Son to us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are. Uh, making our way through uh, a little series, preaching series um, here at St. Paul's through the month of October, going through the Psalms. Um, uh, This amazing set of 150 songs and poems that we find in the Old Testament. Uh, Do grab a Bible uh, if you've got one, because we're going to be flicking it around a little bit in the Psalms. There are some paper copies on the sides if you want to get it or use a device if you like, that's fine. Um, Now, I love the Psalms. Uh, Athanasius of Alexandria, one of the church fathers, 4th century, he wrote this, Most of Scripture speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. Most of Scripture speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. And make them uh, our own prayer in a way that uh, we can't, in in the same way, other parts um, of the Scriptures. And Jonathan gave a great introduction uh, last week about you know, how useful the psalms are for a daily quiet time, you know, as we have time each day uh, to pray and and to let's read some some of the Bible. Like, why not add in a psalm or two or three uh, when you come to those? These are just prayers. They they cover every kind of emotion, every kind of experience, from ecstatic joy to uh, to great pain and suffering uh, and despair. And if you use plans like uh, the Bible in One Year app, it's brilliant for this. You get a bit of Old Testament, a bit of New Testament, and a psalm in there as well. Uh, and something I've been doing over the last year is I've been going to the, uh, the original Bible in One Year app. This is the Book of Common Prayer, <laughs> which is, goes all the way back to the Reformation, the Church of England's first service book. Um, and you've got morning and evening prayer in here, and if you use this, basically, you can go through the whole 150 psalms in a month. That's two or three psalms in the morning, two or three in the evening. Make your way through the whole one in a month. It's brilliant, recommended. Um, Although, if you get a copy like this, it'll be in the King James. So, uh, if you want just to have the plan or something, come chat to me afterwards. I can get that to you. But highly recommended, just to soak ourselves in the psalms, in these prayers of God's people. And so tonight we're looking particularly at Jesus in the Psalms. And this is actually a two-parter. I've been allowed to have two sermons on Jesus in the Psalms. So in a couple of weeks we're going to look again um, at Jesus in the Psalms. But this time we're looking at Christ as the pre-existent Son. God in his glory, his majesty, as the king and the priest uh, that we see here in this psalm written hundreds of years before jesus was born and uh, my hope is that tonight will convince you and get you excited about finding jesus in the psalms for yourself so psalms are great but here's a question how often do you see jesus in the psalms how often do you hear his voice how often do you catch a glimpse of him Because my sense is that when we approach the Psalms, as well as the Bible in general, particularly Old Testament, we often read it kind of like a history book about things that happened. Uh, You know, what what was it like to be there? Who wrote it? What were they going through? You know, how was what happened then? How can that apply to my life now? And you know, that's fine, that's great, uh, because those questions matter. And the events and situations which are in the Old Testament are historical. They really happen. They have significance. And the Bible is written by human beings with their own settings and their own backgrounds and things they were going through and things that God was uh, saying to them. But actually, if that's the only way that we relate to the Bible and particularly the Psalms, then I just want to suggest we're missing out on something. Because you know any great work of art, be that literature, or film, or painting, or, or whatever, never just has one kind of layer, does it? Or it? There are different layers of meaning which the artist has put inside. So, like, classic, easy example is C.S. Lewis' Chronicles of Narnia. You know, if you read uh, those books, and, or you've watched the films, and you're like, it was, this is a great adventure with a talking lion, like that's fine, but you're actually missing really what Lewis is doing. Is Aslan, the, the lion, is Jesus, <laughs> you know. And this whole, you know, once you see it through that lens, you realise oh, there's so much more that's going on here, uh, rather than kind of what is I suppose literally on the surface. Um, and or if we look at, I've got a slide here, just with a this is Banksy, one of Banksy's um, paintings. I love um, Banksy, and. Clearly, what makes it so profound, his work, is that uh, there's, there's always multiple layers going on. there's social commentary, there's something about the human condition, isn't there, uh, in a painting like this um, and others? Because the artist always has a deeper purpose. And you know, the, the greater the more, the more genius that's in the art, the kind of more singular that purpose is that's being driven towards. And how much more when God writes a book, when God inspires uh, a book like the Bible, and the Psalms. Because if God's purpose is to save humanity, save the world from its sin by sending his son Jesus to take our place on the cross, then we should expect to see that coming up time and time again, shouldn't we, Uh, when we come to the Bible. Every page of the Bible we should see it. Uh, and I believe that we do. And a whole area that there's no time to go into tonight um, is actually looking at how the New Testament reads the Psalms, and they're seeing Jesus in it all over. And Psalm 110 is the most quoted Psalm in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 7, a whole chapter on Jesus in this Psalm. Um, Anyway, that's that's something you can check out later. What I want to focus on is uh, Psalms 1 and 2, actually. So you might want to flick over to Psalms 1 and 2. Um, th- this is the, the, like, the introduction to the book of Psalms. It's, they've been put here um, on purpose. And it's like they set up kind of all of what the Psalms are about. And they set up this tension. Psalm 1, just a few verses. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take. Or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person's like a tree planted by streams of water, which le- yields its fruit in season, whose leaf doesn't wither. Whatever they do prospers. It's like this manifesto for the good life. And it's uh, for the righteous life, kind of living right, not just before other people, but before God as well. So that's the first psalm we've got. And Psalm 2 suddenly kind of changes gears. Here's a few verses in Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I've installed my king." on Zion, my holy mountain. So sense here about kind of a a monarch, a king, a true king. And so Psalm 1 and 2 combined together, you've got this idea of righteousness, of living a good, a perfect life. Then you have this idea as well of power, I guess, of monarchy, of, of just rulership. But here's the thing, no one ever lived up to this. God's people were always waiting. They had, they had their kings. Uh, they were always longing for the, that one who was going to be truly righteous, that, the kind of the priests they were looking for, and also powerful, the king they were waiting for. And, you know, you look at the, or uh, we'll just read the, the books of Kings and Chronicles, didn't go very well uh, for God's people. Not even someone like David, the great David, was a king, and a priest, let alone someone who is a a morally uh, perfect, upright man. What I want to suggest is that like right at the start of the psalms, we're getting this tension set up, and Jesus is the one who resolves it. He's the one who's perfectly righteous and who is the true king. So let's have um, a little look at this psalm then. First thing that's exciting uh, is actually in the first line, so verse 1 of Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Like, what's going on here? The Lord says to, to my Lord. Now the Psalm, it says it's of David. So it's most likely written by King David. It's great. great um, Israelite king. But it's not about him. By him, but not about him. This first line is really intriguing in the original Hebrew. uh, You might see that the the first Lord is in capital letters. This is uh, where we get the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the name of God. And then uh, the second Lord, my Lord, is Adonai. That's the Hebrew word for Lord, and and often that is used in the place uh, of the divine name. So there's something kind of going on here? Uh, And Jesus actually picks up on this himself uh, in Matthew, Matthew 22, talking to uh, some scribes and Pharisees, these religious leaders, and he says, like, how can the person being talked talked about here be David's son if David's calling him Lord? There's this idea for particularly in Hebrew culture that your ancestors are kind of greater than you. So like the further back you go, they become greater and greater and greater. So the idea that you'd, you know, your son would be superior to you doesn't make any sense. So it's like, how, what's going on here? Yeah, that David's calling someone who, is it his son? He's calling him Lord. The idea is that someone else is in view, and it is Jesus. Um, It's similar to what's going on, we see it in John 1 as well. John the Baptist talks about um, Jesus, and Jesus is actually their cousins, and Jesus is born after him. And he says, "Um, this is the one that I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Uh, John is saying, "Jesus, Jesus was before the whole world began, so he comes before me. He, even though he's kind of younger than me in a, in a worldly sense, he's the one, uh, he, he surpasses me, he ranks ahead of me because he came before me. Uh, so that's what's going on here. Even though Jesus is indeed descended from David, he is the Lord that David is looking up to. And then second line, don't worry, we won't take this long to go through the whole thing. Sit at my right hand, the Lord, the Father, says to the son, sit at my right hand. That's the position of a son, position of, a, of your, uh, your heir, your family. And he's in, in, with God in heaven as well. David's not in heaven when he's writing this. So we have here the father, God the father, speaking to the son in this psalm, in the Old Testament before Jesus was born. Let's see, what does it go on to say? Well, firstly, it talks about a king. Father speaking of his son as a king. Here's verses 2 and 3. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on, the day of, on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy splendor, your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. I want to suggest that we see here that Psalm 2, King, that God's people have been longing for, is here in the person of Jesus. Two quick things. One is, uh, it says, God will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. Um, At the Queen's funeral just the other week, I don't know if if probably most of us, if not all of us watched the, the procession. Of the queen here, um, and she had you've got the crown jewels fixed to the top of her coffin, and one of them is her scepter, is the kind of the British uh, the sovereign scepter, and the, the scepter is like this; it's a symbol of a monarch's authority and their power, and so this idea of the the, the father is extending the scepter of Jesus across the world, is saying. The authority is going out, and there's power uh, that this king has. So you've got the scepter. And secondly, there's this slightly weird um, kind of a, uh, reference to like an army. Um, you might, if you're looking at your footnotes, uh, when it says, Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb, there's a little footnote in most Bibles which say, we're not sure what the Hebrew means. Like, the Hebrew meaning is uncertain. <laughs> it was; it would have been very clear to to the original readers, um, but we're not quite sure what it means. But there's a sense that there's like it's like saying your uh, your army is this this willing, countless multitude. Um, it makes me think of you know, we've got tyrants in our world like Vladimir Putin, uh, who it seems the opposite, is kind of struggling to, resorting to conscription to fuel uh, his war machine. Uh, He doesn't have willing uh, troops, does he? Um, And they're not countless either, dwindling. And of course for Jesus, we're using kind of um, old ancient world imagery here, but Jesus conquers with peace, with love and with self-sacrifice. And the idea of this Jew, the Jew, kind of comes in the morning, doesn't it and it's it's kind of everywhere and it's not quite you know it seems like it sort of appears from nowhere It's like uh this army this these followers of jesus um just seem to come like as if from nowhere uh, I don't know uh if you're a Christian here tonight um what your story is of coming to faith, or perhaps you're not a Christian, wouldn't call yourself a Christian, Uh, what you think might be required for you to believe in all of this. But often there's there's so many uncertain twists and turns, aren't there, in our stories. I know certainly there are. For me, um, as a a kind of young guy, uh, leaving school and and at uni, I've been raised in a Christian home, but I just really wasn't sure the connections were not there. Um, and I, I was in quite a low place, actually. And so looking back now and seeing just through different turns of events, through, uh, through friendships, through church, through I ended up doing a, an internship after uni, which was brilliant. By the way, we do a discipleship year here at St. Paul's. Come and chat to me. It's awesome. Um, that was great for me. And the sense that oh, the Lord has told this beautiful story, and it's like it came from nowhere just like the dew of the morning. So Jesus is the king. He's powerful um, and just. How about the priest? Well, next verse is verse four. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, hands up. How many of us have heard of Melchizedek. It's fine. It's a little bit obscure, Gray. Okay, good. So, Melchizedek is the name of this mysterious man who appears in Genesis. That's the only the only two times. Well, Melchizedek appears in the Old Testament at least. Um, is here in this psalm and back in Genesis chapter fourteen, he meets with Abraham, who is um, one of the um, who one of the ancestors um, of uh, the Jewish people. Uh, So Genesis 14, is a little snippet. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, that's Abraham gets his name changed from Abram, saying, blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So you get this mysterious guy who's a king and a priest, appears and then disappears uh, very early on uh, in the Bible. Uh, And here, Jesus has been, been called, you're a priest in the order of Melchizedek. What does that mean? Well, firstly, it combines being a king and being a priest. We never see that happen in the Old Testament. That kings are separate from priests. Different family lines. They can't come together. Um, and yet Melchizedek kind of has this weird combination of the two. Um, Melchizedek also is timeless. He doesn't have any ancestors. He doesn't have any descendants. He just sort of appears and disappears. Um, and here we see Jesus, the son is said, the father says to him, you're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. It doesn't end. It doesn't start and it doesn't end. It's always been this way. It doesn't depend on uh, your parentage or your lineage. Um, Jesus is the priest. He's the true priest. Not related to the Levitical priests who uh, are set up in the Old Testament, but fulfilling that. And we get these weird things as well. Bread and wine. A kind of prefiguring communion, um, a tithe. Abram gives a tenth of everything, and offers something to um, this, this guy, Melchizedek. and Jesus is the one who, who fulfills what that is pointing towards. Again, uh, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, if you want more on Melchizedek, that's where to go. Um, but that's just briefly looking at Melchizedek and Jesus as the priest. So, Psalm 110 speaks of this heavenly king priest, the one who fulfills the impossible requirements of Psalm 1 to, to lead that perfectly righteous life uh, that none of us could, um, and also be the king of that Psalm, that second Psalm, Psalm 2. Um, and so, for the writers of the New Testament, for Jesus' followers, his first followers in the church through history, there's only one person this can be it's Jesus. And how does the psalm finish? It finishes with victory. So verses 5 to 7, the Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He'll judge nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. Again, we've got it's kind of ancient uh, Near Eastern language here. It seems very strong to us, doesn't it? Um, crushing kings and heaping up the dead. The image here is of like a total victory that this priest king is going to win because God is extending his scepter. God's the one who's having his purposes um, achieved. But of course, for Jesus, he conquered death. Uh, by offering up his own life, didn't he? He was piled among the dead uh, when he went to the cross for us. That is how he conquers. So what does all this uh, mean for us? Well, first I want to suggest that encountering Jesus in the Bible is so much more than reading the Gospels, those stories as eyewitness accounts of Jesus' time, um, his earthly ministry. So when you're reading or you're praying the Psalms, perhaps you want to start you know, getting into the Psalms each day, um, ask yourself, where is Jesus? Where do you see Jesus in this? It might be a really obvious one like Psalm 110, or it might be one that's a little bit more obscure. You know, where is the king? Where's the priest? Where's the, that kind of longing for a fulfillment that we see in Jesus. Who's the psalmist looking for? Who can we join in looking for and worshiping and getting to know better? Um, If any of this is intriguing to you, I've got a book recommendation, which is coming up here. This is a brilliant little book. It's called Psalms for You by Christopher Ash. Christopher Ash is brilliant on on all of this, and particularly Jesus in the Psalms. So yeah, I totally recommend this um, if you want to... Uh, read a bit more, um, engage a bit more. Second thing it means for us is if Jesus truly is this king and this righteous one, then we need to stop living our lives like we're the monarch of our world or like we can, if we just are good enough or we just do X, Y, and Z, then we'll find fulfillment or, um, you know, will earn God's love or his grace because none of that you know, has anything to do with the ministry of Jesus. You know, th- this, is, this is the one, this son that, that we see in this psalm is the one that the world has waited for and longed for uh, since the fall, since right back at the beginning. Um, and we get the privilege of being on the side of history where we've, we've seen Jesus. He's come and walked amongst us. And we can know him today. You know, he has revealed himself. Something that you know, David longed for. He saw this vision. Uh, and, and we see the fulfillment. Shall we pray? Uh, just as we uh, come, yeah, come to the end of looking at this psalm together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have come as the king and the priest, uh, as the beloved son of your father. And thank you that uh, we see you not just in the gospels, not just in the New Testament, but all through the Old Testament, and especially in the Psalms. And we, I pray, Lord, would you give us eyes to see you and a kind of spiritual imagination to meet you uh, in your word. And especially as we had that prophetic, uh, prophetic words um, about singing and the power of singing, uh, song, singing worship. Lord, would you, Release, release our hearts to worship you uh, in this psalm and uh, Lord, to see for who you are and to have our lives reflect uh, the love and the mercy and the grace that you have offered to us. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.